What is it about this book? There's plenty of different translations, and there's plenty of different ways that it's printed, but this book, from its inception, has captivated culture. It's always at the top of bestsellers lists. It's always there. It's always amongst the most read books. What is it about the Bible that is so important? And if it is really that important, how do we go about engaging with it? These are questions that are important for us to answer as we think about what it means to follow Jesus. Because it's clear in the Gospels that for Jesus... The law, or the the Pentateuch, the Old Testament, was centrally important for him. So much so that he would say something like, Hey, I didn't come to erase even the tiniest bit of this, but to fulfill it. To fill it up with meaning. And so if we're going to be people who follow Jesus, we need to figure out what role does this book have in our lives. Now, if you've grown up in the church, uh, many of you have, many of you have not, um, and there's good and bad to to both sides of those realities, right? If you've grown up in the church, you may have a love-hate relationship with this book, right? Because sometimes the, uh, the religious corruption that we talked about a little bit earlier flows into this book. And so for many of you, you might have a familiar story like I do. For me, as a child and a teenager, I read this book because I was afraid not to. Not because I didn't, not because I I wanted to, but I was afraid not to. I was afraid of what might happen to me if I didn't read it. I was afraid of what kind of day I would have if I didn't read it. And everyone told me that I had to read it first thing in the morning, and I continue to be the worst morning person in the history of the universe. Uh, It was just as bad then as it is now. And so I felt like a complete failure when it came to the Bible. Like, I wasn't good at reading it like everyone else was good at reading it. I saw these people who would get up early and they'd spend hours in the scriptures, and I struggled to stay awake, and I wasn't understanding what I was reading, and I was really only reading because I felt like, gosh, something bad could happen to me later in the day. This is as adulterated as thinking as you can have, right? Something bad may happen to me later in the day, if I don't read this, because what I've understood is a good Christian reads the Bible 30 minutes to an hour every morning. And that's what they do. They check a box, right? No. Not everyone that has that history and that story has an adulterated version of that story. For many people, the morning is a fantastic time to engage the Scriptures. And for many people who are reading it in the morning, it has nothing to do with this animistic sort of, if I don't, it could be bad. If I do, something good could happen to me. For many people who read it in the morning and engage it that way, it's been soul-sustaining and a good thing. So do not mishear what I've said. But I do think we need to root ourselves in why the Bible is so important. So, uh, if you have a copy of the Scriptures, you can turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. If not, I'm just going to read a couple of verses to us this morning to get this idea of why. This is what Paul writes to Timothy, uh, who's pastoring a church in Ephesus. He says, you know, verse 10 of chapter 3, you know uh, all my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, my patience, my love, 
endurance, persecution, sufferings, what kind of things have happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from who you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So what's the context of this passage? Paul saying to Timothy, a younger follower of Jesus, you've seen what it looks like to follow Jesus. It's hard. Then he says a statement we would like to white out from our, our scriptures, right? He says, everyone who follows Jesus will be persecuted. And then based on it, he says, so count the scriptures as really important to your personal life. And he really makes three statements about them that we want to just kind of move through really, really quickly this morning. The first is he, he speaks about the availability of Scripture, right? He says to Timothy, you have known the Scriptures from your infancy. Now, whether he's talking about his uh, actual infancy or his spiritual infancy, from when he became a, a person given to God, the, the point is still the same in that the scriptures are available to us, right? We do not need to get them from somewhere else. We have the ability, especially through the Holy Spirit, to understand them. They're available, right? The second thing that he says, and he kind of gets at the, the aim, right, or the accomplishment, whatever A word you want to use, of the scriptures, is that it says, they will make you wise for salvation. Did you hear that, that when I read that? That they will make you wise for salvation. And what is he talking about? He's saying that the whole purpose of the Scriptures is to give to those who would read them the story of God. That is to offer the Gospel in plain and compelling narrative. Who is God? What has he done for humanity? What has he done for the world? How has this been accomplished through Jesus? How then should we live? This is what the scriptures do. That's their whole purpose. That's their aim. They make us wise to receive this gospel of God. And then the third thing he says is that, uh, that of the authority of scripture. Right? He says that, this is an interesting word, he says that they are God-breathed. Greek word is theonoustos, literally, God breathed them into being. Theologians talk about this as the doctrine of inspiration. And what that means is that even though scriptures have been written by individuals using their own writing style, using their own personality and their own background and their own eyewitness, that God was actually behind them, using all these truths about them, to write this grand story of God that's collected together in the Scriptures. So, if we believe that God is the ultimate authority in the world, right? And if we believe that the Scriptures are breathed out literally by God, 
then we must conclude that the scriptures are authoritative. Do you see that? And so what Paul is writing to Timothy, hey, in the chaos and messiness and difficulty of this life, where people are going to be pulling you in all different directions, don't lose what you have in your faith in the gospel. And the scriptures, the Bible, as we have it now, is going to be really important in seeing you through that journey. Why? Because it's available to you. Because it aims to give you the gospel. And because it is God's word and therefore speaks with authority in our lives. Now, I've preached on this before, and if you want to go more into depth on those three things, you can listen to uh, the Sola Scriptura sermon from the Solas teaching series a few years back uh, around this time. But I just wanted to give that as a foundation for launching into something that this morning I hope is very practical for us. Because we can talk about theology of the Bible and how it came to be and all of these different questions, but at the end of the day, the question you and I really need to answer is, how do we engage the Bible so that it really is the wisdom, gives us, gives, so it really does give us wisdom that leads us to salvation? A guy similar to Timothy in the Old Testament was a guy named Joshua. And we recently preached the book of Joshua, so hopefully this is somewhat familiar to you. He is another young leader who's taking over for a great leader. Timothy's following in the footsteps of Paul. Joshua's following in the footsteps of Moses. And he's getting these words from God, like, be strong and courageous. What does that mean? It's going to be hard, right? <laughs> no one tells you to be strong and courageous if it's going to be easy. They, they know you've got it, right? He says, be strong and courageous is going to be really hard. And he very famously gives this instruction to Joshua. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, he says, Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. We've talked about these words, prosperous and successful, but I'd be remiss if I didn't pause and say, he's not saying if you read the Bible every day, your bank account's going to increase and you're going to get lots and lots of promotions. He's talking about you will be able to live the life that you were created to live. Wisdom unto salvation, right? A few things happen here and we can begin to ask the very practical question, how do we engage the Bible? It's the first thing that said to Joshua here. He says, do not let this book depart from your lips. Right? And this is not new news to the readers of the Old Testament because the great sort of Hebrew call of discipleship in Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Shema, right? The, the, it's the Hebrew word for hear. says, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Right? This great statement of theology. And then it goes on to say things like, You should teach this to your kids all the time. Talk about it when you're walking and when you're lying down. When you're at the table and when you're away. What's the point? Don't let this book of the law depart from your lips. So what is the answer then to how we should engage the scriptures? Maybe this seems so obvious to you, but I want to encourage you with it this morning. You must 
engage the Bible regularly for it to be effective in your life. It cannot be a hit and miss reality. It cannot be a once here and once again in six months. God will speak to you in those moments. I'm not suggesting you won't. But if you really want to begin to have this wisdom that leads to salvation, that is understanding your place in the greater story of God, this has to be something that is regularly part of your rhythm of life. Now, what I won't do is tell you what that means. Because I'm not you. I don't know what your rhythm of life is. I do not know if the morning or the evening is better. I would never suggest to you that it has to be every single day, what's wrong with every other day, or more on Saturday or whatever. You understand your rhythm of life, but here is where the rubber meets the road, church. You also have been given the personal authority by God to order your own life. And so you cannot say that because of my circumstances, I can't find time to value this book. That's actually the choice you've made. That's actually the choice you've made. So you must find a way to make this a regular part of your rhythm of life, to value it in such a way that it's a regular reality for you. Listen, I am not talking about legalism here, right? There will not be any um, check-off box sheets, you know, where you have to check the box for your reading and then hand that in. When I was in college, is this legalism or not? I don't know. It's a funny story now. We, because I went to Bible college, uh, Philadelphia College of Bible at the time, I would have to literally at the end of a semester hand in a sheet where I have checked off that I had attended church every Sunday, right? Check, initial, check, initial, check, initial. That's not what I'm talking about here. But what I am saying to you is that if you really want to be invested deep in the gospel, one of the key ways that you will accomplish this and pursue this in your life is to make the Bible a regular part of your rhythm of life. For some of you, your next holy risk this week has to do with this very thing. Looking at the rhythm of life you've created for yourself and saying, have I valued the Bible? Not because I'm going to earn something from God with it, but because I want to be enveloped in this great story that God has told in the world. And for some of you, the next active step of faith is going to be, you know what, once this week, I'm going to read the Bible. Because that's the next step for you. For some of you, you know, it's going to be two or three times this week. For some of you, it's going to be, I'm going to do it every day this week. Not because I just want to be rigid about it, but because I really want this to be part of my rhythm. Where are you at? What is going on in your rhythm? What is the next practical step you can take to say, this book should be on my lips, right? I should be talking about it day and night. Now, the, the second thing we have to do is not only pursue it regularly, but when we do co- come to read the Bible or to engage with it, we must come with the right mindset, right? We must come with the right mindset. Now, I'm not talking about like you must all of a sudden turn a bad day into a good day or you must lie about how you're actually feeling. I'm talking about we have to understand a few things about how we're wired and purposely not give in to them so that when we come to the scriptures, we're able to engage them 
in such a way? The first is we have to ask ourselves a very important question. Is the Bible about me? Or is it actually about God through Jesus? Is the Bible about me? Or is it actually about God through Jesus? When God speaks to Joshua in this profound way, he doesn't say, hey, here's what I've told you to do. Focus on my plan. Go after it. This whole thing's about you. You He says, read the story of me and what I've said to do. This book of the law, which is all about what it means to dwell with God. See, God is actually the leading character of the Scriptures. We are not. You might be willing to verbally agree with me, but I've got this feeling you're all like me. When we go to crack open the Bible later today or tomorrow, we will go at it with the mindset, this is actually about me. Right? How do we do that? Well, I need to hear from God. Well, I need to figure out what I need to do. Well, I'm struggling with this in my life, right? All the things, we come at it from a me-centered way, and we begin to miss the bigger picture of what's going on in the Scriptures. So I want to suggest to you something. I want to suggest to you four, a series of four questions that I think can be helpful as we read a passage of Scripture and making sure that we don't just give in to our natural inclination to read this all about me. The first question is... What part of God's story am I reading about? Now, if you were with us through the Long Story Short series just a, just a few weeks ago, you know exactly what I'm talking about, or at least I hope you do. Uh, if not, feel free to go back and read through it. But we said there are six parts to God's story, remember? Creation, fall, covenant, Jesus, church, new creation. Why is it important to ask what? Well, one, it gets at the context of what's going on in the Scriptures at that moment. But secondarily, it reminds us that this is God's big story. And this is but a small part of it. And a part that actually has a lot to say about my own life. First question. Second question I think that we should ask is, what do I learn or see about God and his character in this passage? What do I learn or see about God and his character in this passage of Scripture? Third question. Where do I see Jesus and or God's rescue in this passage of Scripture? Where do I see Jesus or the Gospel showing up in this passage of Scripture? And then finally, the last question, where do I see me? Right? You're in there. Trust me. Right? But ask these questions in this order so we understand it in the appropriate way. First way we need to make sure we come with the right mindset is asking ourselves, is this, is the scripture a story about God or a story about me, first and foremost? And I would suggest to you, it's a story about God. Second question in terms of coming at the scriptures with the right mindset, and Joshua gets this loud and clear, well, we hope he does, but we see that God speaks this loud and clear to Joshua, right? He says, let this book of the law be on your lips, study it as hard as you can. He doesn't say that, does he? He says, meditate on it. And this is a critical word for us to understand. The word study is actually used a small handful of times in Scripture. The word meditate is used a plethora of times. Because it's a better way to understand how we're supposed to enter into 
this story. Now, we are all people who are either of the modern world or children of the modern world. And I don't mean modern world by culture. I mean, in the modern world, everything is about me, right? And also in the modern world, everything is about knowledge to be attained. And so we study, 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 read to learn, read to learn, read to learn. And actually, the scripture is, is less a book for us to control by studying it, and more a story that is meant to control us by being enveloped in it. This is the difference between meditate and study. Now, I've got to pause, right? I am not telling you that studying scripture is a bad thing. If you want to read it in the original languages and read commentaries, I would encourage all of those things. I've given more than half of my life to studying the Bible. It is a good thing. But it cannot happen at the expense of meditating on the Bible. Meditating on the bigger story of what is happening through God in our world. This word meditate in the Hebrew language sometimes is translated to grunt. Isn't that fascinating? To grunt. Sometimes it's translated to murmur. And what it's really getting at is this deep, guttural experience that is happening. That something is being ingested deeply and churning deeply in there. For many of us, we have believed that the right way to read the Bible is to read as much as we can or to take in as much as we can. And I wonder if a better way to engage with the Scripture is this idea of meditating, that rather than how much I can read or how much I can learn, what if I take in only one thing deeply? Again, I'm not suggesting that reading a lot of the Bible is bad or learning a lot of the stuff in the Bible is bad. But someone once said, and I, I tend to agree with him, that we are educated beyond our obedience as Christians. We know way more than we live out. Why? Because we don't take things in deeply. God is not saying, hey, read this book a lot, and you'll have a great strategy for the battles ahead, Joshua. He's saying, take it in deeply because it will sustain you. It's the means to the strong and courageous command that was given to Joshua. And so then what about if our time in the scriptures is actually about remembering this is God's story, not mine, but he allows me to play a big part in it. So I'm asking these questions that get to who am I in the midst of who God is and what he has done through Jesus. And then I begin to meditate, even if only on one thing that is coming out to me in the midst of these scriptures. Maybe it's one holy risk that God's calling me to take, or one new insight into the reality of who God is that, I, that is meant to, I think, cause us into, lead us into a daily contemplation rather than an aha, close the book, I'll see you tomorrow. Reality. Right? I think the word meditation in its core gets at that. But it also has this characterization, this idea of diligent, right? That you are going to have to be willful in this process. It can't just be, okay, God, I want to meditate, make it happen. You know? You've actually got to create the space and the energy to go after it. Here's one thing we know about the Holy Spirit, and, and Jim's going to speak to us about the Holy Spirit next week, and uh, it's going to be good and, and important. But one thing we know about the Holy Spirit, is that one of his key jobs 
is to continually remind us that the truth of the gospel and the teachings of Jesus. And so in the Holy Spirit, in this process of meditation on God's word, you have the perfect, terrible phrase, but we'll use it, right? You have the perfect sidekick to make this work. His whole job is to keep bringing to your mind the thing that you're trying to meditate on. So what does it mean to be willful? You have to give him space to do it. And there's so many practical ways you can do it. I don't know what your life is like. Uh, I used to work at a bank. I was going to grad school full-time. I was working at a bank full-time. And I was miserable at the bank and happy at the grad school. And what I would do, like, I have no idea if this has ever happened at a bank before. I would go to the bathroom, right? This story's not going to be gross, trust me. I would go to the bathroom every evening shift at the same exact time, except I didn't have to go to the bathroom. But I knew I needed five minutes to reset myself. And in those five minutes, I would pray, a centering prayer or whatever it is, and I would try to, to, re, to regenerate that moment, of that thing I've been meditating on and being in truth that God is, is speaking to me. Like, it can be as practical and simple as that in making space for God. You know what? Three times a day, I'm going to stop, I'm going to set an alarm on my clock or my watch or whatever it is that you wear or have, and I'm, it's going to go off and I'm going to know, okay, I'm gonna, that, that one thing that God struck me with deeply, I'm going to go back to that so that you're being diligent in engaging this. You see what I'm kind of getting after here? And have grace with yourself. If this is a whole new procedure for you, or a whole new way of, of studying the scriptures, please don't think that tomorrow when you go try it for the first time, like you're just going to be thinking about this all day long, and like you're just going to be blown away, and this is going to go fantastic and swimmingly. It's probably going to be really hard. That's why you have to be diligent about it and going after it, going after it, going after it. To study the Bible is a good thing, but to meditate on the Scriptures is a far greater thing. How are we approaching the Scriptures? To study and gain knowledge about God or to meditate deeply with and on a God who loves us? Third and last thing in terms of engaging uh, and mindset that we have. And, and I hope you hear me well when I say this. Is our reading of the scriptures about application or is it about the story of God? Is it about application or is it about the story of God? Do you know what I mean by application? Perhaps you're like me. You read the scriptures so that you can find at least one thing out that you're supposed to do, Right? And then when you find that one thing out, you say, okay, I'm going to do that. And let me just pause for a moment. I'm not going to call anyone out, but how does that work for you? Is that working out well for you? Like, did you have like a life-changing moment where you're doing really great at that thing? Maybe if you're being diligent over a long period of time, right? Here's the problem with application if it's our only pursuit. It is the doorway to religion. It is the doorway to religion. Oh, God said I have to do this. I better do this. Why? So that he's happy. Because he told me to do it. I need to do it. If we pursue the scriptures as the grand story that God is telling, and we find our place in it, then suddenly the the thing that we're telling ourselves as we begin to see, hey, God's actually calling me to a new way of living here. 
But it's not just isolated from everything else, and it's not about earning his affection. It's actually something that actually is far better for me than the way I'm living already. And how do I know that? Because I see that I'm part of this great story that God has told. It leads to what we like to call here at Hope, grace-oriented obedience. That is, we obey God, not because we're afraid not to, but because we are so compelled that he has included us in his story that we want to and know that it is actually a better way of living. Scriptures are available to us. They speak the full truth of the gospel to us. They are breathed by God, therefore authoritative in our lives. So let's be careful in the same way God spoke to Joshua to engage them with the right mindset regularly according to the rhythms that we have been empowered to create for our own life. Remembering that it's about God, not about us, but that graciously we've been included into it. Remembering that it's not about studying, it's about meditating. This doesn't mean studying is bad, but studying should be something you do on top of that if you're so led. And then also remembering that this isn't about driving to an application so that I can go try to do that, but that it's actually about realizing anew that I am part of this great story that God is telling in the world. That when he rescues in the Old Testament, I was on his mind there too. Now, when there are types of Jesus in the Old Testament, that's foretelling not only the story of Jesus in the New Testament, but my rescue in the New Testament. And so the things I'm called to, I'm called to on the basis of God's great rescue in my life, not in the hopes that I can make myself a better person so that God will be happier with me in the long run. So, let me just give you a quick way you can do this. Uh, A quick example of this, this comes from a sermon I preached uh, a number of years ago. Really, really famous story, right? The story of David and Goliath. Story of David and Goliath. What happens to the story of David and Goliath when we say, this story is about me, uh, therefore I need to study it so that I can come up with the application that I can go and do? What happens when we read David and Goliath that way? We say, man, there are going to be big giants in our life, right? And if, if I love God enough, I'm going to go out and I'm going to fight those giants hard. I'm going to trust him and he's going to defeat them for me. And then we go out and, and try to fight giants and how does that go? It's not, it's not an easy battle, right? It doesn't always go like David went, does it? Have you fought a giant lately? Did it, did it go like David? I mean, every once in a while it, go, it might go like that, but a lot of times it, it doesn't go like that. And then what do we do? Here's the problem with religion, right? When we read for application, when things are going good, it leads to pride. When things are going bad, it leads to distress, right? Now listen, if we ask the questions that I suggested we ask, listen to what happens to the story of David and Goliath. The first question, what part of God's story is this in? Well, this is David, and he lived during the kingdom, so this is part of the covenant part of God's story. And the covenant part of God's story is all about God 
delivering a blessing to his people ultimately starts with Abraham, right? And this blessing, if you remember from the long story short, is about, about finding purpose and security and provision in God alone. True identity and, and security and value in these things alone. This is a part of God's story that's happening here. The second question we ask is, what do we see about God in the story of David and Goliath? We see God being incredibly faithful to those three things, don't we? Security, provision, and purpose. All radically happening in that story only through divine reality. God being incredibly faithful, incredibly good in a scary and difficult time. Then we ask ourselves, where is Jesus? Now we begin to unlock this story. Because when we see where is Jesus, we actually see that David is actually not us. David is actually a type of Jesus. We've been given to reading these stories with a me-centered way, so we think, oh, I've got to be like David, I've got to be like David, I've got to be like David. Well, Jesus, we remember in the New Testament, is the ultimate King David. And so actually, what's happening with David and Goliath is not God setting up a moralistic story where we have to go fight the giants. And if we have the faith to fight the giants, then maybe God will come through. It's actually a gospel story that God will raise up a replacement warrior. No one would fight. And out of nowhere comes this unsuspecting Savior. God raises up a replacement warrior who, against all odds, wins a tremendous victory over a great giant. Does it sound like the cross to anyone else? There should be no victory on the cross, and yet it's the greatest victory over the greatest giant in the history of the world, the giant of sin and death. Then we finally get to ask the question, well, who am I? And friends, you are not David. You and me, we are the Israelites hiding on the hills, hoping someone else will fight the giant. And what happens when David kills the giant? They blow the horn, and the the soldiers emerge from the hillside, and they advance against the Philistines. So are we called to something? Yes! We're called to a faith that moves so that we can slay a giant? No, because Jesus has slayed the giant. Do you see it? And suddenly, the scriptures come alive. And suddenly it's not, oh man, i got to go out, and I've been struggling with this giant of anxiety my whole life. True story for me, right? I guess God's saying i got to go kill it this week. Like, this is religion, right? No. Jesus has ultimately defeated the giant for me. So this coming week, I can take the holy risk of crawling out of my hiding spot on the hill and acknowledging Jesus' victory and believing that he's calling me into the battlefield behind him. Does this mean I'm going to defeat everyone in the battle I take? No! This is a story that's good for defeat and victory, right? Because Jesus has the ultimate victory. And so I find myself in the story, and therefore I'm compelled to step out 
and faith behind it. And what I would suggest to you is that these same truths keep telling themselves over and over and over again all throughout Scripture if we're careful to read it as a story of God acting through Jesus to rescue us and call us into the greater story of God. So I have something for you guys. You can take one of these and pass them around. Hopefully there's enough. I have no idea. If families need to share, I'll make sure we have more later. I wanted to give you something practical so that when you go home, you might just say, well, well, Pastor Adam spent half of his adult life studying the Bible, so of course he can come up with that cool new understanding of, of uh, David and Goliath. But what I'm telling you is, maybe the risk of faith that God's calling you to is saying, when I sit down with the scriptures, I'm going to ask these four questions and see what God says. Are you going to get it right every time? No. Is that the end of the world? No. <laughs> right? The point is that we ask the questions and that we're trusting God to lead us as we engage the story. Should this take you an hour? It could. Could it take you ten minutes? It could. How does it fit your rhythm? And if you're like, you know what, I don't want to ask those four questions, you're not going to kill me over it, right? You can say, this will be a perfect bookmark somewhere and I'm never going to use it. But I wanted to give you something practical that if you want to, if you're looking to take another step into engaging in scriptures, you can use. And so it basically asks those four questions. And then the fifth question, it says, Today, I want to meditate on this one reality. And in parentheses, it says, God, Jesus, me. Because the thing I want you to meditate on is something that comes to you because first you saw God, then you saw his gospel through Jesus, and then you saw what you're called to. If it's not happening that way, then it's straight application and, and it's going to lead to religion, right? What's the one thing? You could say, well, there's ten things here. That's okay. What's the one thing that, that really stuck out to you that you say, you know what, for today, this is the one thing I want to think about. And then lastly, how does being part of God's big story move me to take a step of faith today? Based on the one thing that he's pointed out to you to meditate on, is there some action, some step of faith that he's calling you to. If you're like Pastor Adam, there's so much more to understand about the Bible and you just you know, like skimmed over all this, on the back side is tons, well not tons, there's a list of resources if you're interested in digging into more. If you want to know how did the Bible come to be, how did they pick the books, how come some were in, some were out, here's a couple of resources that are trustworthy that you can look at. If you want to know, how can I trust the Bible? Isn't it old? Aren't there several copies? Aren't there errors in it? Tim Keller has written a great book, The Reason for God. He deals with that in one of his chapters. There's even a short YouTube video that you can read as he reacts. I think it's to a a Columbia University professor asking him questions. Uh, Alpha also does a good job talking about the reliability of Scripture. Two great resources for you to engage in. If you want to know, where should I start reading the Bible? Some people like to have Bible schedules. There's a great resource on R.C. Sproul's website, Legionnaire, and it has like, I don't know, like 30 different schedules you can use to read the scriptures if you're one of those people. And that's great. You, should use, you can use one of those. Or if you're like, you know what, I'm not that way, but what should I do? Well, what are you dealing with right now? You should find something that's germane to what you're struggling with. If you've never read the scriptures on your own, 
read one of the Gospels. You need to hear directly from Jesus, right? Uh, Is there something that will help me understand the Bible better? I've given you some links to some sermons I've preached here before. Um, Hopefully they're helpful for you. Are there tools that can help me read the Bible? Um, We'll talk about devotional books here. One quick thing I would say about devotional books. If the devotional book is just about someone's thoughts on Scripture, don't waste your time, right? The Bible is available to you. So find a devotional book by an author you trust, but make sure it allows you to interact with Scripture itself, not just to hear their thoughts on it, right? Their thoughts on it are good, so long as you're interacting with it, too. There's also this other little tool that's been helpful to me, um, especially when I was working at the bank and stuff like that. It's, a, it's an Irish Catholic website called Sacred Space, and they have an online daily prayer that you can go through. It takes a short time. I don't know what your rules at work are. I'm not asking you to break your company rules. I was allowed to do this at work, and so I could do it uh, even while I was working. It takes you straight through praying through a passage of Scripture. It's a good resource. And if you're like, I need more than this, I want to dig deeper, then I would love to have a conversation with you. But We have one Sunday morning to talk about the importance of Scripture, and I hope that this tool is helpful for you. But ultimately, I hope that you believe that the Scriptures, the Bible, is an important reality for you in your life because it is the means by which we become wise for salvation. And it is authoritative in our life as the very Word of God. Can I pray with you?